the scary thing is the rich young the rich young man, right? In in the gospel, he he was he walked away sad because he had one yeah. thing. Lord, I do all those things, and and our Lord knew he did, right? He abided by the ten commandments. He he did not, uh, you know, commit mortal sin, and and yet he wasn't willing to give one thing, um, the, yeah. the one thing that tethered him to the world, and that that scares me, right? And was like, yeah. what is that? What is that one thing I'm I'm not willing to cut that one that one yeah. tethered to the world. Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. My name is Dan Dimite. I'm the executive director, one of the co-founders here at Damascus. And this show, Beyond Damascus, is all about what happens after our conversion, right? St. Paul had this incredible Damascus moment where he encountered the living God and his life was transformed. And then St. Paul went and he sat on his couch and watched Netflix. No, right? <laughs> after this... Uh, yeah, after this conversion experience, Paul was uh, dedicated to this life of mission where he brought the gospel to the Gentile world and he transformed the secular world to become a Christian uh, nation. And that is exactly the call that every single one of us have as lay people. As Catholic lay people, we are called to have a conversion in Christ Jesus and to allow that conversion to shape the rest of our lives, not just to shape our Sunday, but to shape Sunday through Saturday, that every single day of our life is transformed by the gospel so that we would live no longer for ourselves, but to advance the kingdom of God here in this world. And I am so excited by this episode today because we have two guys who had a conversion to Jesus Christ. And as a response to that, they decided to dedicate their lives to advancing the kingdom of God. I want to welcome uh, two of my new friends, Michael and Kailash. Guys, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good be yeah, no. So these guys, uh, both of you worked in Silicon Valley for a while. You were part of big tech companies. You're you're living the grind of life. Uh, you had a conversion, and now you have a company called uh, Fide Technology. And your hope is to provide basically a, an option for Catholics and for Christians in the tech world to provide moral solutions and technology, and, and to work alongside of people who share your common values. Is that is that a correct description of? real quick where you're at and what you do that's correct and we we actually met in silicon valley in san francisco at at rcia um <laughs> oh and, there you go yeah and uh and yeah our, our you kind of nailed it. it our tagline is uh, technology without moral compromise technology without moral compromise i love that it's so absolutely critical in the church today and in the world today. So why don't we start like you guys met in RCI, which is pretty amazing. I want to, we're going to get into that story. Just share real quick, just so that at the beginning of the show, people know what you do and why you do it. Why don't one of you share a little bit about Fide technology and, and, and what your vision and mission is there? Go ahead, so, Michael. So, so like I said, we, we try to provide um, technology without moral compromise. And we started by providing uh, email services. So it replaces, you know, Gmail or Microsoft Office, um, sort of Outlook email or Yahoo, whatever, whatever you use. Um, and your email address is at fide.email. Um, and so uh, 
there's a lot of good addresses still, so you don't you don't need to uh, you know have a, a 15 different numbers, random numbers after your name, generally speaking, right now. But we've subsequently expanded uh, in talking to our customers. We've realized they have other needs, especially parishes and organizations, and so we offer uh, calendars and file sharing, secure file sharing, encrypted file sharing, and um, uh, collaborative document editing and, and all sorts of things. So um, forum hosting, you know, all, all different things um, for for a variety of size client client base. But uh, we started, like I said, with individuals, families, and and we still serve them. Um, but we also serve parishes and, and nonprofits and other Catholic organizations. So essentially, we- <clears throat> you're you're striving to become, if you will, not not striving to become, but you 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 have services that are comparable to like what Google is offering, but you're striving to do it with values that are aligned with the Catholic faith. Right. And what we are really trying to do, there's there's kind of this um, this way of going about solving problems in, in the tech industry that's that's quite good. Um, it's it's called the problems to be solved uh, approach. And what you look at, you you look at the problem that you're trying to solve, and then you try to solve that problem, right? As the name <laughs> implies, rather than um, sort of looking at at existing behaviors and trying to apply technology to that or something like that. So uh, rather than simply replacing things, we really did a um, an analysis of looking at what problems are, are really meaningful to solve. You know, maybe we don't need a Catholic Snapchat, for instance, or something like that, right? And and so we, we looked at like, what is a good um, technology? And we could get into the reasons why we chose email and things like that. And then we said, okay, this is a, this is a problem problem of communication and things like that. And and can we can we pick off some of these things? Um, and then can we do other things that that really aren't being addressed by the main tech companies? Um, and and so we we're talking to our customers and figuring out their needs there. And I think I the, the forums the forums product that we have is a really good example of that. It's extremely valuable to church communities to have a place where everyone can kind of live online. But it's distinct and different from Facebook and some of these large social media platforms. So that's a really good example of something we offer that serves the parish community really well. But it's not exactly a cognate for a product that the, a big technology company would, would offer. And we've been extremely grateful and impressed and surprised that the growth we've had over this year of being a business has been, I, I, I'll speak for myself, I mean, way more than we would think. Um, we went from sending just maybe a few hundred emails in a week to now many thousands in one week, just completing last week. So we're really, really grateful for the adoption that we've had and we're excited to share more with really anyone who's willing to listen. Yeah, that's amazing. So what is, uh, what do you think are the greatest dangers or the greatest threat to human culture that big tech is bringing into our world today? And why are you a solution to that? I mean, this, the simplest one is, is simply, by supporting these companies um, and whether you're directly paying them or indirectly paying them. And we can get into that, right? When, when a product's free, it's not really free. Um, and, and we should have listened to our grandparents who t- taught us the lesson, you know, nothing in life is free, right? Um, and, and we can get into how they monetize, uh, you know, when, when it's ostensibly free. But um, by giving them money, uh, you're, you're allowing them to, to use that, that money and influence to shape a culture that our children are going to be born into. Yeah, 
That is that is that is very interesting, and I think we're starting to see the the last thirty years the fruit of that, right? I mean, even just throwing Disney on uh, at, at my house, the Disney Channel, I'm like, whoa, wait a second, this is not the Disney I grew up on, and you have clear agendas that you're trying to brainwash my child with, and I'm no longer in alignment with this, and it, it's it's it happened overnight. It, it it just like out of nowhere, all of a sudden, you're starting to see the agendas be manifested uh, to the young generation and it's it's very dangerous you almost i actually think covid-19 was such an interesting time uh and, and during the trump uh, the end of the trump administration and now going into uh the biden just this time in human history uh the darkness is manifesting itself and i don't say that in a, a political way i just mean like the enemy is no longer hiding. You actually, he's just, he's just out on the streets parading and sometimes literally like out on the streets parading. And, and, and so evil is no longer hidden. And it, it was like, whoa, wait, we actually gave way to this. We gave permission to the evil one uh, to, to be out on the streets parading because we, we went along unintentionally for so long as Christians with uh, hidden agendas. That's exactly right. Kind of the word, I was just going to yeah, say go the for word it. that you touched on is um, unintentional. You know, we really are hoping to call all Catholics to really be intentional with the software that they consume and, and indeed all products as much as it is possible. We are really hoping that people can be intentional about who they do business with. And we're trying to be that option. Amen. I love that. Well, and, and I love this because so Damascus, we call ourselves a missionary community. So we have about 150 full time missionaries just aligned and giving their lives over to the Lord. And what the Lord's been really speaking to me lately is we need marketplace missionaries there. We need people who are in the marketplace, who are in the secular world, and they see that they aren't simply, um, you know, business leaders who are Catholic, but they see themselves as missionary business leaders, missionary entrepreneurs, that they, they are doing what they do for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God and for the transformation of secular culture. Uh, and, and it seems like that's what you guys are doing. And the only way that can happen is if your heart has been transformed by the living God. Maybe you could share your own conversion stories. I believe uh, like Michael, that you were uh, an atheist and you came into relationship with the Lord and Kailash, you were uh Hindu and came into relationship with the Lord. I'd love to hear these stories of just, wow, how did Jesus become Lord of your life? Sure. Oh, Michael, you can go ahead and I'll go second. Okay, sure. So I was a Hindu. That's right. My family's from India and I was born into a very strong tradition of that religion. I was the president of the Hindu Students Association in my college and Growing up, we would like almost every single weekend do some kind of religious ceremony or um, traditional ritual. And it was very important. It was a big part of my identity. But when I moved to San Francisco and I began a career in Silicon Valley as a software engineer, I have fell away from any kind of belief or relationship with God. And I also became atheist. I was a Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, read these books. I was a scientist. I had all these answers. And to be honest, it, it provided a way to justify the lifestyle I had, which was like very out of control. I think when you are in those environments and it's not just that you're comfortable yourself, but I was literally around people my age whose net worths were like in the hundreds of millions, if not billions. I mean, there was a lot of access to satisfying my desires and my pleasures. And I was surrounded by that. And 
I was really going nowhere. I didn't know it at the time. And my personal life was in a wide variety of uh, failure. And I was in a relationship at the time with someone who I lived with. And we fought all the time and it was not a great relationship, but that's, that's where I was at personally. And the shocking change for me that really caused me to wake up was the election of President Trump that you mentioned. And waking up the next day in San Francisco after he had won that election was like literally like a nuclear apocalypse. It was something that was like thought to be impossible. And the whole worldview that I had and that every business around me and every person around me had was like destroyed in like two hours. I mean, it was like something that is very hard to describe. I mean, I think people were surprised that he won, but when you were on the other side of it, it was like a really difficult thing to come to terms with. And you see that some people had a visceral reaction, became really angry, but I was born in a pretty conservative area of Florida. I'm actually from the same town that Governor DeSantis is from, Dunedin, Florida. And so, it w I was surrounded by people who were Christian and I was surrounded by people that, who I grew up with who voted for President Trump. And I started a blog where I would ask people from Florida where I grew up, why did you vote for him? And I was just very curious as to explaining this other perspective that I couldn't understand. And there would be economic concerns, there would be immigration concerns, there'd be all these policy concerns that I felt sympathetic towards. I could understand that perspective, but the thing that was very hard for me that I couldn't really grasp was the moral concerns. So they'd say, I'm pro-life, or I just, you know, I have these Christian morals that he speaks to me more on. And as the atheist perspective and where I was at personally, I found that to be idiotic, frankly. I found it to be a very stupid perspective that couldn't be justified. But everything I learned, I, I just, I, the dead end for me was Christianity. And as I wanted to ask more and learn more about what was I missing, what was I missing in the way that these people were thinking, I had to start researching Christianity. And the research of the Christian faith, the person of Jesus Christ, just kept offering more and more questions. And it became, who is Jesus? I was so skeptical as an atheist, I did not believe that a man named Jesus Christ even existed in history. That's where I was at as a person. And it wow. went from, who is this person, to... You know, what did he teach? What is the Bible? And then it became, you know, how do you become Christian? What is baptism? And then that's where the Catholic Church began to emerge in my research. And then it became, what is the Catholic Church? Where does the Catholic Church appear from? And slowly but surely, I became convinced of what I was reading. And the two things that were the biggest imprint on me were the bountiful, almost unlimited access to information that I had online and being able to satisfy my questions through my own research, but also the testimony that people gave through different programs that are on these um, multimedia platforms like EW10 or Catholic Answers, whatever it was, and seeing the conviction that people had in their face that they, they truly completely believed in what they had, what they taught in the Catholic Church. And I, the, the series of questions grew more, it changed from being intellectual curiosity to actually being personal. And it then arrived at a place, how can I be Catholic? And what would it change for me? And I knew, I knew that I needed to change. I knew that I had to stop the lifestyle that I had. I knew that I needed to stop um, saying yes to these temptations. But until I learned about what Christianity really was and what sin was and who God was, I had no way to do that. 
But thanks be to God, the, the resources that were available helped convince me. And since then, I've lived a life of, I would say, a purity that I couldn't believe. You know, I've been able to uh, stay away from drugs and alcohol and all these things that used to really destroy my life. And God saved me from all of those things, really just by, by changing my mind about the truth. Wow. <laughs> Dude, that's, ah, Kailash, that's amazing. Oh, geez. I, I love that. And I love, well, first of all, I love that you could say the election of Donald Trump led to your conversion. I think that's just, that's just really fun. Um, but the, 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 the hunger and the curiosity, I, it's almost what comes to mind is seek and you shall find, right? That you sought the Lord and in the end you found him. And where, where in Catholicism have you had the most profound encounter with Jesus? That's a great question. I think the most profound encounter I've had with God is in very deep contemplative mental prayer. Um, that's something from my background, our background as a family in India. Um, mental prayer was actually a very important part of the Eastern tradition, as you can maybe imagine. But it's it's a particularly important part of who we have been for, for centuries in my family. And to be able to sort of take some of the habits I had or take some of the approaches that I had and apply that actually to the one true God uh, found in God the Father has been the most profound change. Just the, the ability to have a dialogue and allow it to change me. Yeah, amen. I love that. That and yeah, it, you know, I, I can't imagine because I've I've always almost I, I've always been in the Lord. I've never gone to a place of, uh, of not being in the Lord. And so my inner dialogue, everyone has an inner dialogue all day long. My inner dialogue for as long as I can remember has always been to God. Uh, like throughout the day I'm, I'm in conversation with him. And, um, when you're an atheist, who's your inner dialogue with? Yeah. And, and it's a, it's a phenomenal point that you brought up, Dan, because people who, hold true, even in a very lukewarm sense to the truth of Christianity, they do not understand the darkness that an atheist lives in, because it's exactly like you said, not only is there no understanding of what your interior dialogue is, meaning you do not even understand what the purpose of your consciousness is. You, I did not know what is a sin, right? I do not know what is creation. I did not know if you really take the Bible for what it says, I did not know what truth was. I did not know what love was. There are so many things that if you really understand it, just prima facie, what it says in the Bible or what the Catholic Church teaches, imagine you had absolutely no idea what those things were, right? Really absolutely no idea about what order is in the universe or what order is in society, right? That's where I was. I think Michael would say the same. That's where I was as, a, as an atheist in utter darkness. Yeah. And oh. so, you know, I think when you talk about Honestly, your, your Damascus... Kailash, the way you describe that, it sounds like hell. Like truly, yes. it sounds like you you have the the uh, the the ten virgins, the parable, of the ten virgins. There's the the five wise and the five foolish, and you see the foolish virgins without any oil in their lamp. It says when the bridegroom comes in the middle of the night, they run and, and they're looking for oil, and it's the middle of the night, so it's dark and there's no street lights. Could you like it? Just is this idea of like if you're not in the Lord, you're running through the darkness of chaos hungry for something that will satisfy and yet nothing in the darkness provides satisfaction it's only the light that will provide satisfaction and um wow that's nuts yeah and and you know just to kind of talk about the first point that you had made 
the, the Damascus moment, you know, the change that I had was very profound personally, because all of those aspects of my identity were basically thrown away. But it was very easy for me because everything that I was, was attached to something which was not true, or I was attached to something which had really no bearing in reality. So although my darkness was, was quite profound and quite challenging, the illumination was actually very easy to embrace. And I see it kind of, you can see it in the, in the largest spectrum on the internet, um, the internet culture that we have. If you look at someone like a Kanye West, or you look at someone like a Jordan Peterson, they're very close to the fullness of the truth, but they can't take that final step. And yet it is someone like Shia LaBeouf or myself or St. Augustine, who is so far away that they can actually embrace the fullness of their faith. Because I think it is much, it was much easier for me to give up my identity and what I had, because even just a very rudimentary understanding of Christianity, which is, to be honest, that is what I had over a very short period of research. It was a very small amount of understanding, but that was so much more profoundly greater than what I had on my own, that it was very easy to say yes to Christ. And I see wow. other people have challenge because they have this, their own baggage. They have this lukewarm Christianity, which is actually a lot harder to deal with. Yeah, no, that that's a brilliant insight. Cause I, I looked at some of these great evangelical leaders like Francis Chan and Bill Johnson. I'm like, Oh, like you're so close to Catholicism. Why haven't you converted yet? And I think you're probably right. There's so much more to lose in that conversion, if you will, that uh, the questions are a bigger chasm than when, when you're where you're, you were at, uh, Michael, why don't you share a little bit kind of what was your, what was your conversion story? This was like, that was amazing. Oh, that was such a good, like Jesus Christ changing someone's life. I, uh, there's nothing better than that. Thank you, Kailash for sharing that. Sure. Yeah. So I, um, like I, like you, you mentioned, I was an atheist and, and I was an atheist from a very young age. I remember, um, telling my parents, you know, I don't believe in God when I was very young. And, and I thought, you know, it was, it was what intelligent people did, right? Like all the smart people, like Kalash mentioned, Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris and, and all the quote unquote scientists and, and things like that, you know, to, to, to my young, uh, arrogant, prideful, uh, young man, it, it was appealing. Right. Uh, and it was a way to kind of, um, establish your intellectual superiority. <laughs> and so that's probably what like my eight-year-old self was thinking or eight or 10 or however old <laughs> I was when I, when I declared myself an atheist and probably not even really knowing what it really meant. But I was like, I'm an atheist. Yeah. Because, so that's what the smart people, well, the people I thought were smart, right, did. And, um, but, but this unfortunately persisted. Um, I ended up going to a Catholic high school uh, because I was, I was into sports. Um, and I, I, they had a really good sports program. <laughs> and, and so I went to play baseball there. And that was my first real encounter with Catholicism. Um, and, you know, if I'm being frank, it didn't impress me. Um, you know, I, I went to, um, I, I went to theology class, and I started bringing Darwin's origin of species rather than the Bible, just to be you know, uh, annoying. Um, and so when I was asked to read out of, you know, a certain page or something, I would open up Darwin's origin of species. And so I was, <laughs> I was, I was that guy. I was reading the God delusion <laughs> and selfish gene and, and all those things. And, um, and so I ended up going to, um, well, I guess in high school, I, I got pretty interested in Eastern religions. Um, and it was probably just the sort of, uh, contra sort of attitude that I had that I'm going to do something you know, different. 
Um, and so I got interested in Japan in particular in Zen Buddhism. Um, and so much so that I ended up studying abroad in Japan, learning Japanese. And, um, and, and, and that was like a, a major phase of my life. Um, and through that, I, I got into meditation. Um, and, and meditation really was a practice that stuck with me over the years. And I, I went to college. I joined the Atheists, Agnostics, and Rationalists Club uh, in my university. Um, and I was still you know, reading those authors, those pop atheist authors, and, and perhaps a little bit more sophisticated at that point, but not much more sophisticated. So, so you weren't even just an atheist. You were like a, a, a card-carrying member of atheism. Right. I was, which... I was like a militant atheist, right? And, yeah. Um, and... Uh, and so I, like I said, I, I, I was getting deeper and deeper into Buddhist meditation at this time. Um, and, and then I, you know, went, graduated college, never really encountered Christianity in other than, you know, uh, the, like the Korean Christian groups at campus, like singing with a guitar. That was like my encounter. They're passionate. With- I love the Korean Catholics <laughs> though, man. They're like, they, I see, they, they we were. have a Korean Catholic community here and dang, they do church on Sunday <laughs> from 9 a.m. to like. 5 p.m. I'm like, yeah, that's how you do church. <laughs> yeah, these, these weren't, they weren't Catholic, but it was you know, okay. evangelical. And, okay. um, and so, so anyway, I graduate. And um, at this point, I was, I was really into technology, right? And uh, I was studying computer science and Japanese. And I um, graduate with computer science degree. And I, I, start, I start my own company. Um, and, and I continually start companies and, and have moderate success, mostly failure. Um, and Eventually, through that, I ended up in, in Silicon Valley. I got uh, an offer. Um, I was working at one tech company in Portland, Oregon, and I got an offer to move to San Francisco for a, a pretty famous tech company that was really ascendant at the time. Um, and and basically, the mentality then was, if you if you find a rocket ship and you have an opportunity to get on, like hang on, right? So I go to San Francisco, and um, and I join this company. And um, as Kailash said, you're surrounded in San Francisco in the tech world by people making a lot of money. And to a young, ambitious man um, who, who wanted to succeed in the tech world, the, the sort of holy grail of success is to get VC backing, venture capital backing for a startup that you found yourself and to eventually exit, whether it's an IPO or an acquisition or something like that. And, um, and so, of course, this is literally what I shouldn't say literally, but most um, young men in San Francisco who work in the tech industry, this is like what they're aiming towards, right? And so I was no different. And so I went there for a job, but you sort of quickly network and, and meet people and, and figure out, okay, how can I achieve this, this great thing? And how can I be the next Steve Jobs, right? And, uh, <laughs> and, so, and so, you know, uh, I'll fast forward a little bit, but eventually I did. I raised a lot of money. I found a co-founder and I raised a lot of money by, by prominent events several prominent venture capital and angel investors. And uh, we started hiring a team and I was building this. And and I think I was 25 or 26 at the time. And somebody wrote me a check bigger than I'd ever seen. Right. And suddenly I'm quote unquote on top of the world. Um, And that's when things started to fall apart. And um, my co-founder and I at the time, um, obviously neither of us were were Christian or or Catholic. And um, we, we sort of, self-sabotaged in a way. Um, and it was, it led to an immense failure. Um, and it was a failure of my own making. 
it, it had nothing to do with external circumstances. It was my co-founder and me, um, just like our pride and all these ugly vices coming out. And it led to this, this massive failure. Um, and, and at this time, you know, as I said, I was, I was really into meditation and everything like that. And I, I continued that practice that I'd begun in, in high school. Um, but a, prior to starting that company, I had worked. Michael, with can I ask a question? Yeah. Who, who did you meditate to? Like what, when you do meditation and you're an atheist, what, what happens in that process? Yeah. So it depends upon the type of meditation, but generally speaking, it's uh, inwardly focused. And so, um, the, the types of meditation that I would do is, um, you know, eventually I did like transcendental meditation, which the Beatles were you know, into and stuff like that. Um, and it's really quieting the mind and you're not, because it's, it's, I mean, it depends upon what tradition you're in, but you don't generally, I didn't believe in any deity, right. Or, or any even supernaturalism. And so it was a purely materialistic, naturalistic thing to me. And I was utilizing these tools that might've had this baggage of sort of Hinduism or Buddhism or something like that. But in reality, it was, it was a way to sort of quiet the mind and, and, um, deal with, you know, anxieties or, or, you know, uh, things like that. Um, you know, what's a like, sad reality is I've noticed it, people who do this, uh, atheistic meditation seem to have sometimes a higher level of commitment to that than we as Christians do to our daily prayer lives, which is oh, a grave scandal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have the opportunity to like encounter the living God every single day and to enter into his presence and to literally consume the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. And yet we lack commitment to that and we lack fidelity to that. And yet these, you know, a, a secular atheist is like, I'm going to be extremely faithful to my daily meditations. It's like, what, like, do we even believe what we say we believe? Like, do we believe that God is God? Do we believe that his presence is real? Do we believe in the Eucharist? Cause it's like, if I don't have commitment to that, when this opportunity is in front of me, it's just nuts. I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Mike, thank It's So what, what were you going to say with vegans? Just well, yeah. the commitment well, they have? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, 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 uh, I'll, I'll speed through the last part, but basically, um, you know, prior to starting this company, I was, I was having these inklings of something's not right. Right. And, um, and you, you started seeing a friend of mine in high school, his father once said to me that um, California is where the world is going to be in five years and for better or worse, usually for worse. And so in, in California, you started seeing a lot of these, the, the trends and the culture that we see really, really prominently now, we started seeing a lot of that there. And I had this intuitive sense, perhaps it's the, the embedding of natural law in the heart, that something's wrong about a lot of these things that were, that were kind of being promoted. And uh, I kind of filed that away, but I had a book by Dr. Edward Fazer, um, who was a Thomist. And uh, it, I had two books of his. One was called Five Proofs for the Existence of God, and the other was called The Last Superstition. And I had those on my bookshelf, and I never read them. But anyway, this failure comes about. And so I lean on meditation at the time. I was like, oh, man, you know, I was pretty depressed. I, I suddenly, and I'm unemployed, right? I had all this money from a startup and then nothing. And so I was like, okay. So I just sat and meditated and, and ended up. Um, so I'm, I'm meditating and I find this new book on meditation that has a mantra. And this is a yogi book. And the mantra is, uh, I'll never forget this. It was heavenly father. I will reason, I will will, and I will act, but guide thou my reason, will, and activity to the right thing that I should do. And I remember thinking at the time, like, wow, that sounds Christian. And, um, that scared me because I, I still was very anti-Christian. 
And, uh, but then I closed the cover and I looked at the book, the cover. I was like, okay, no, this is a yogi. So whatever. So I, so I, so I literally like repeated that over and over again to meditate. Um, and then simultaneously, I saw these books on my shelf and I start reading, oh, what's this five proofs for the existence of God book, right? And, and so I'm reading Thomistic, um, well, they like all different, they have, uh, but the, the argument that really, really hit me hard was Aristotle's first mover, elucidated by Aquinas. Um, and, and, um, and so I'm reading this and that was the sort of intellectual, let's say, opening of the door. And then I had the, the meditation that really, eventually I started realizing wait, I'm not inwardly focusing this. I'm saying Heavenly Father, right? And this is outwardly focused. And then I start becoming obsessed. Who am I, who am I talking to? Like, who am I, who is this, right? And so I have this, <laughs> this intellectual oh, no. side. I have Christian prayer going on in my life. Yeah, and so yeah. I realize eventually I'm not meditating, I'm praying. And, uh, and, then I, and then I have all these books and I have all this free time and I'm unemployed. And so I start voraciously consuming uh, things I found the Summa Theologiae uh, online, newadvent.org, and I start listening to Bishop Barron and and um, and just all these things, and and I'm just it, it's incredible because I I realized I gave a talk at my parish about my, my conversion at the time, and I said this is the year I realized I was wrong about virtually everything, and so since then it's become a process of literally like looking at everything I haven't yet looked at since my conversion and saying, oh, how am I supposed to look at that now? And, and it's like putting on a new pair of glasses that everything is different. The epistemology of how you view the world is different. Uh, now there's telos, right? There, there's purpose. Um, and other than like Albert Camus, who, who said, um, you know, the purpose of life is whatever prevents you from offing yourself, right? The existentialist yeah. philosopher. So anyways, that's, that's well. Uh, that's my I love that. Guys, you get, you're given a witness that I think is so important to what I would say uh, is so important for, for cradle Catholics, because what I find from so many cradle Catholics is that Christianity has found its way as a accessory to their life or part of their life, but Jesus isn't Lord of their life. And what happens when you have a, a conversion like yours, you actually understand that the fundamental root of Christianity is that you are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. And as you said, Michael, the whole world has been transformed metaphysically, epistemology, like everything that Jesus becomes the way, the truth. And the life, and he redefines the way of your the 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 way you behave. He redefines the truth of your human existence, and he redefines your entire lifestyle. And so, it allows the Christian is able to actually in Luke chapter nine, Jesus says this: like it, it, you're only my disciple if you deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. And this denial of self is this: you you, you must disown yourself. The Greek there is to disown yourself, to disown your former way of living. So that I'm no longer in relationship with the old man, but now I live as a new creation in Christ Jesus, and my life has been redefined. It's been redefined in Jesus, and the purpose of my life is no longer to advance my kingdom, but to advance his kingdom. And, and when you have this Damascus experience, whether that is you're an atheist, and then boom, you encounter him, and life has been redefined— or if you're a cradle Catholic and Jesus finally becomes Lord of your life, because it's possible, listeners, to go to Mass every Sunday. It's possible to listen to Beyond Damascus uh, podcast and Jesus still not be Lord of your life. To, in order for Jesus to be Lord, he has to be Lord of your finances. 
He's Lord of your, your comforts. He's Lord of your family. He's Lord of your decisions. He's Lord of your career. He's Lord over all. And, and the scary thing is to follow him all the days of your life in a lukewarm way and to never make him Lord. Like, oh, George, scary, Lord, save us from that. Yeah, it is thing, scary. The scary thing is the rich young, the rich young man, right? In, in the gospel, he, he, was, he walked away sad because he had one yeah. thing. Lord, I do all those things. And, and our Lord knew he did, right? He abided by the Ten Commandments. He, he did not, uh, you know, commit mortal sin. And, and yet he wasn't willing to give one thing, um, yeah. the, the one thing that tethered him to the world. And that, that scares me, right? And I was like, yeah. what, is that, what is that one thing I'm, I'm not willing to cut that one, that one yeah. tethers the world? Yeah, and I love that because Jesus, uh, he tells the rich young man, yeah, go sell all of your possessions and, and give them to the poor and then follow me. And it's like this invitation, like, become like me. I want your life to be my life. And and that is a scary uh, and yet at the same time such an exciting call that we all get to enter into as Christians, as Catholics, and the fullness of the Lord's grace and truth. Um, okay, so you guys are in this, like, you're having this awesome conversion time you meet each other at rcia which i love that's where all good businesses start and so how how does this idea or this concept for this apostolate slash business start yeah it, it didn't start right away um i guess i was like i said i was unemployed and reading a lot so i i came across the benedict <laughs> the Benedict option. And, uh, and I read the Benedict option and it had a, a profound impact on me. Um, and, um, and I remember talking to our pastor, um, at the time, and I, I proposed giving a talk called engineering the Benedict option. And, and the proposal was, okay, a lot of us, this is in San Francisco, right? And a lot of us have work in the big tech companies. We know what goes on there. We know what value quote unquote values are promoted there. Um, and, uh, I saw the writing on the wall. I, I was like, I, I'm going to have to make compromises with my conscience uh, if I continue down this road. And um, and I said, we really need to start thinking about creating employment opportunities for Catholics so they don't have to compromise their values. Um, and and that was the premise of the talk, engineering the Benedict option. Um, and Kailash was there. And um, and then, you know, a lot of things happened. I got married. I moved across the country. I had my first child. And, um, and, and so, but I, I was building all these, I always had this hobby of like building these sort of decentralized tools. Um, and, and I would give them to friends and have friends use them. And Kailash, to his credit, he, he humored me. I used this really buggy chat app that I hosted on my own server a long time ago. And Kailash was one of the early adopters. It was like five of us using it. And it only worked like half the time. But I was always into this sort of thing. And, uh, and eventually I, I get to my new parish across the country and a friend of mine, um, I was doing this and I got him using the chat app that now worked. And, and um, he, he asked me and he said, do you wanna, I, I want you to give a talk at the, the Republican group. And I was like, I'm, I'm really not political. I don't like politics at all. And he's like, just, just do it. They're, they're really interested in this and they don't, they don't know any tech people. So, so I gave this talk about um, you know, the morality of technology and decentralization and things like that. And it went over really and well. And describe where you lived in South Carolina. Like, what, what is it? Like, where was oh, it? Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I moved to South Carolina, which is like, I, it, I love South Carolina. It's, it's like, it feels like home when I got there. And uh, um, yeah, it's pretty rural. 
Um, and so uh, a lot, like a lot of my friends are farmers. Uh, we get like raw milk brought to our house, um, you know, and, and things like that. And so that's, you know, the crowd, not entirely the crowd I was talking to, but certainly comprised a, a big segment of, of the crowd I was talking to. And they were really, really passionate about what I was talking about. And, and it was like, kind of showing how the sausage is made in a way of Silicon Valley type stuff and, and the things they should be concerned about and the things that are kind of buzzwords that they don't need to worry about, right? And so this, this went over really well. And, um, and so my wife um, instigated, uh, she kind of said, well, Michael, why don't you just do this? You've been talking about it for a while. Why don't you just do it? So why don't you launch it? And so I, I launched quietly uh, pday.email, um, an email service. I'd run an email service in the past. I knew how to do it. And, um, and, I, was, and, and I was talking to Kailash a lot at the time. And Kailash was kind of giving me advice um, and, and, and really basically working for free. Um, and, and, uh, at one point he's like, I, I can't believe this, like what's going on. And, and he, and he said, can I talk to some of your customers? And so I said, sure. Like I'll email them and, and put you in touch. And if they want to you know, talk. And so college did some interviews and I'm sure he'll tell the rest of this, but anyway, you know, after talking to customers, he, he said, I want to join. And I was like, great. I don't, I don't want to work alone. I, 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 I love working with a friend and, and it was really, really small and, and modest at the time. And so Kailash since joining, I mean, has, has helped it to grow and become a serious business. Um, and, and yeah, that's kind of what happened. Nice. All right, Kailash, tell your side of the story. <laughs> yeah, I, I think kind of similar. I, I had not been, I had been a technology founder myself and I was the founder of a startup in the art artificial intelligence space, and we actually sold that business last year. So I've been like profoundly blessed. And in this last year, I've been kind of just exploring and seeing what's out there. And I had seen myself quite a few people come up in this kind of alternative economy space, whether it was with hosting or other types of services. And I saw a lot of people doing the same things, which were um, giving options for conservative or Christian groups that fell at risk of deplatform. But I saw there was so much more with what Michael was doing, which was actually building real software and offering it to compete um, with these really important tools like communication tools and things like that. So I was aware of the space vaguely just by talking to people and seeing what was going well. And I had another friend who had uh, a different company who was doing like phenomenally well. And I, I thought, okay, there's something that is a big opportunity here. You know, as a, as a founder in the technology space, you're always trying to be ahead, right? You want, you don't want to be making all of your own propulsion. You want to be attached to something which is changing in society or in technology. And in this case, I would say with artificial intelligence, that's something tech changing on the technology frontier. But in this type of thing, it's something changing on the social frontier. And I think that people are willing to change. And what I found that was really interesting with the people I spoke to that were early customers, they wanted to change. And we, the bet was whether there was enough people out there who could make this into a real business, who are invested enough to make this decision. And I was, I think I've constantly been surprised that we've, we've had you know, month over month growth that always is shocking that through word of mouth or through media appearances like this, as soon as people hear about an, an option or an alternative, they take the chance. And we're even early on, it was clear that 
the the numbers and adoption showed that if you just put it in front of people, they would um, they would say yes, which is very hard in business and it's very hard in technology because most people, if they have an option for something which is free, it's quite difficult to actually get them to move and do something paid like Fide email is. But we've been even right from the beginning, people are willing to make that chance because they see there's a social they are experiencing a social change and the frontier of traditional Catholics and people who hold true to the the premises of our faith, they don't and they shouldn't want to do business with organizations that invest energy into doing things which are diametrically opposed to our faith. I mean, it's not like I'm saying don't do business with them because they're not Catholic. It's like we're saying don't do business with them because they actually fund people to get abortion. They actually fund these things practically. They're they're actually doing something against our values. Yeah, yeah, and, and not to mention the the actions that they're doing, but then also the mindsets that they're promoting, uh, and, and that what that in a sense those mindsets are what shape culture. You know, culture is your your uh, your core beliefs and your core mindsets drive your cultural behaviors. And as those mindsets begin to shift in American culture. We we lose we lose the nation right and and so and they have it's amazing how much those without even knowing the the when you have a darkened mindset what's well, as you were saying Kylie Kalash or earlier it's that you didn't even as an atheist in, in the framework that you were you had you had no concept of what truth is and no concept of what love is and and these are the leaders of the future mindsets of our nation if they they have no concept of what love is where will the nation be in a hundred years if they have no concept of what truth is where will the nation be in a hundred years michael you mentioned the benedict option for those who have maybe heard benedict option mentioned before but don't have a clear understanding what what is the benedict option and how does that apply to what you're doing today Right, yeah, it talks about um, the history of St. Benedict and the Benedictines kind of preserving Western civilization or Christendom, essentially, um, by copying manuscripts. And, and they did so, they removed themselves from the decadence of the fall of, of the empire uh, and, and removed themselves to monasteries. And through uh, regimented living, the rule of St. Benedict, uh, and through painstaking copying of manuscripts, and prayer, and, and of course the Holy Spirit, um, they they preserved Christendom, and they provided the foundation for a later flourishing in the High Middle Ages. And um, the Benedict Option talks about that as a model for the, the time that we're going through right now. That we can look to to what the Benedictines did, and as laity is the the Benedict Option was largely written uh, towards the laity. I wouldn't say exclusively, but it was um, kind of taking lessons from that historical uh, precedent the Benedictines uh, did and, and saying that we need to do this ourselves. We need to preserve, uh, um, and now that I'm a father and I have a second on the way, um, like the, you know, I'm, I want to preserve um, Christendom and, and, and the beauty of the faith for my children. Um, and I see the world like, like that adage I said from a friend of his father years ago, California is where the world's going to be in five years. And I don't, I don't want my daughter um, to grow up in that world, right? And so it's really important to uh, remove ourselves, to preserve what is good, and, um, and to 
to build uh, and to build civilization and to build, importantly, a foundation. As Catholics, you know, we live um, in, in I, I think Kyler said this before, we live in centuries, right? And, and one of the most like remarkable things to me always about, about our faith that always strikes me whenever I, I think about it is the people who started the construction of the great cathedrals never expected to see its, its finishing, but they did it because one, first and primarily for the glory of God, Right, and that's most important. But they also realized that this was going to be their grandchildren's inheritance, and not just their progeny, like their physical progeny, but like the the progeny of of Christian brothers and sisters who would come after them. Um, and they wanted to leave it better than they found it, right? And so um, I was really inspired by this message, and and uh, and really wanted to see, you know, God gives us skills, um, and and obviously Kailash and I were. were graced with the skills and blessed with the skills of, of technology and, and software engineering and things like that. And I wanted to see like, how can I use these skills that God gave me to, to live out that calling? And I, I, you know, I moved to South Carolina and I live among farmers and, and I, I, lo I love them. And, and it's, it's really interesting. And one of them, I, I had lunch with one day and, and uh, he uses a, a dumb phone, a flip phone. And, and, um, and we were talking about like the Luddites and, and the history of, of, of technological development and, and things like that. And it was just really interesting talking, um, kind of really guided by the same light, um, but in two different domains. And and uh, and and so that's what we're kind of trying to do is is build this this sort of localist, um, small business decentralized thing uh, that serves serves uh, Catholics. Yeah, I love that, Michael. I think you know we have. Uh... I have a book called Dream Bigger and uh, talk about that idea of these cathedral builders, that they actually lived their lives constructing something they knew they weren't going to see the completion of. And, and yet now, because of their sacrifice, uh, it's become the house of God, and we're able to adore truth, beauty, and goodness in, this, uh, in these cathedrals. And, and, and even in Hebrews, they talk about that by faith, these men and women in the Old Testament, they, they labored their entire lives for a promise that they didn't see fulfilled and that the Lord puts promises. He puts dreams. He puts visions on our life for us to lay our lives down. And we may or may not see the fulfillment, but it's for those generations that are to come. Kailash, you, um, in Catholicism, we talk a lot about truth, beauty, and goodness. And these three transcendentals, how, how why is it critical um, in this conversation of big tech? why is it critical that we have a basis of truth, beauty, and goodness? And, and, and what might a person, what's the difference? Like what's really the, it's just a tech product, right? Why does it matter? Why, why would the foundation of truth, beauty, and goodness matter in a, in a tech company versus the lack of a foundation of truth, beauty, and goodness in, in often Silicon Valley? Sure. I think one way to look at that very easily is that, if you choose to use this word company or you choose this abstraction like business, it kind of obscures the reality, which is it's a collection of people. So the question is, when should we, when does it matter if a collection of people are, ma are motivated by truth, beauty, and goodness versus does it not matter if some group of people are not motivated by these principles? And I think what we can say confidently is that with the centralization of these products, we have empowered people who have principles which are not based in truth 
to a degree that I, it's hard to say, I hope to not say hyperbolic, but basically the people who are in charge of these communication platforms in Northern California are some of the most powerful and wealthy people in the history of society. I think that's reasonable to say. And does it matter if people with this influence and power are not motivated by Christian principles? I think that it's pretty clear the answer to that is yes. And I think that if we look at history, that matters. It matters if the leaders of your society and the leaders of the world are motivated by Christian principles or not. And what we're doing and what any consumer can do is some step in a direction which goes in, in a different way. And if you empower your communication platforms or if you empower your um, chosen businesses that you work with who are motivated by truth, beauty, and goodness, then they can lead in society in whatever way, however big, however small, they can lead in a way which moves society that way as well. And I honestly, I, it's very easy to um, be complacent and be detached and say that it doesn't matter because it's so many steps away from me. It's so remotely um, detached from me that it doesn't matter. But I think that now that you have the choice and we offer it at a price that you can afford, it makes sense to, to make this choice. And I think in particular, and we see the greatest adoption we have with parishes and nonprofits, because if you are the leader of a parish, we have pastors who come on. If you are the leader of a nonprofit, we have leaders of those come on. If you are a leader and you are trying to move society in this way, it really does not make any sense that you would empower any kind of organization to lead society in the other direction. And I think yeah. the reason we have the best success with these organizations is because they are actually much more uh, tangibly connected to this. They understand that the organizations that are working against them are in our big tech, media, government, you know, all these different things that we're aware of. And they see, okay, however minuscule this step is, they can at least move the needle in the other direction, which is commensurate with the, with the missions that they are trying to achieve. So I would say particularly for those who lead parishes or lead nonprofits, it really is sensible for you to say that you have a mission. You are a mission-driven organization. So are we. And if you invest your technology footprint, your dollars, your money in a mission-driven organization like a Silicon Valley company whose mission is antithetical to the Catholic Church, you're making your life harder. And I think that it does, it matters much more tangibly for those. And I think for the rest of us, lay people who really are um, not dealing with this in a day-to-day -day basis, it's still if you donate money to parishes, if you donate money to nonprofits, if you have any kind of relationship with a mission-driven organization, then it does matter. And uh, by, go ahead. Kailash brought up a really good point that I, I want to stop you, Kailash, on there, because I, I don't think I don't think people realize the extent to which Silicon Valley corporations are mission-driven. Um, it is, it is, so prevalent um, in the hiring in um in the um, internal materials in the meetings that happen everything is mission driven it is, these companies view themselves not as providers of tools uh, that is ancillary almost to their primary goal which is to reshape society and i don't think people realize the extent to which that is true until they work in these companies um, wow. 
and, and what are they trying to reshape society into? Well, you know, and I'll get back to my, uh, you know, Aquinas paraphrasing Aristotle that a small mistake in the beginning is a large mistake in the end. If you build upon false premises, you might build something cohesive, but it's totally in the wrong direction, right? And so an important thing is when we allow, when, when, when all our decisions are informed by the light of faith, we're going to make different decisions and technology is going to develop in a totally different direction. You know, I mean, things that exist today exist because of many premises that their creators held and their predecessors held, right? And um, and so, if if I, I like I like this saying that you know, if Catholics create a mega church, it doesn't look like a Walmart; it looks like a cathedral, right? And so, technology, if it's informed by Catholic values, it's going to be it's going to take a fundamentally different shape because of what I was saying earlier, the problems to be solved. We see different problems that need to be solved in the world. Um, and we're going to solve them, keeping in mind that uh, an evil may never be done so that a greater good may come of it, right? That's a Catholic principle that's not, not held by, by very many people. There's a lot of um, pure um, pragmatism driving a lot of this. Every, you, you might've heard the phrase data-driven. If these companies like live and die by data, everything is, is data. Um, and, and there's a famous phrase saying within Silicon Valley that what gets measured gets managed. And in choosing what they measure uh, directs their resources and directs the, 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 the orientation of technology and the development of technology. And if they're choosing the wrong metrics to optimize for, and I can tell you in many instances they are, um, it, you know, addictive behavior, things like that, engagement, spending time not with real human beings in the physical presence of our Lord at best, right? But others, um, but in, you know, virtual reality or something like that, um, or, or just scrolling mindlessly, um, you know, th that's that's what's governing. Uh, and so it's, it's yeah. crucial that, that um, the technology is informed by our faith because our faith has to permeate everything. It can't just be uh, an identity we have. Well, I'm 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 a tech person, but I I, I happen to be Catholic. It's like no, I'm Catholic, yeah, yeah. and I happen to work in technology. Yeah, I just uh, as you guys speak, kind of what's going through my mind is we have a new global dictator, and the power that, as you've said, Kailash, that we've given these these men and uh, in Silicon Valley that they are the the some of the world's strongest, uh, most powerful people now. They've it, it, you know, we used to understand the the dictator as the one who sat in an empire and had a military. And the 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 reality is the world has changed, and the the way a dictator looks nowadays, uh, their army is different. And the scary thing is, Michael, as you're saying, is these dictators have blackened mindsets, right? Or darkened, as Saint Paul says, he says their their mindsets were darkened, and that they. They they actually don't they don't have the light as or or Kailash as you said the illumination is not part of their mindset and so as they are mission driven to reshape human civilization their foundation to reshape human civilization is from a darkened mindset and and this isn't a game it's it, this is you know like these are the principalities of uh, of light and dark have been the battle ways from the get go and this is. We find ourselves today in the modern era as as agents uh, of Jesus Christ, as as uh, if you will, 
anointed ones. We, we share in his anointing to be this light in the darkness and to say, okay, I want my life, my life to make a difference in all of this. I, I, I was thinking about the anointing that we receive at baptism, priest, prophet, and king. And I, th- I think we've talked a lot about how the prophetic anointing is operating in the two of you. Um, the, the way God is showing you a vision and speaking to you on your heart on what you're called to execute and you're executing it. You're a prophetic voice to the church. And I thank you guys for that. I, I, I want to also include kind of maybe two more questions that will highlight the prophetic, I mean, the priestly anointing and the kingly anointing in your lives. And maybe one of you can tackle each one. The priestly anointing, this anointing of sacrifice. Kailasha, I'm, I'm intrigued. It, it seems like you could just have stayed on the course and made millions and millions of dollars. Like it, it looks like you have sacrificed, if you will, a, a life of wealth and have chosen uh, a, a startup that has a higher risk than most startups, right? Um, so why, why did you make that sacrifice and why did you choose not to chase the almighty dollar and instead invest in something like this? Well, don't give me too much credit because I did sell my company and I did do very well financially. And yeah, what well, turned praise out, the Lord. And now you're, you're returning again. and the Lord will reward you a hundredfold for everything you invest. Uh, <laughs> so, well. but the thing was that it actually didn't satisfy me as much as I thought. And one thing that I love about Fide is that I love the customers. And the previous business I had was, it was an accounting software, accounting automation software. It was, a, it was actually a pretty cool piece of technology, but I had no attachment to the customers, really. They're fine, but it wasn't really a real relationship. And the thing that I care the most about this company is I love the people I work with. I love our vendors and I love our customers. And we, um, speaking frankly, we, we've had opportunities to turn around. We've had opportunities to take money off the table, whatever it is. But we have spoken between ourselves that we're not going to do that because we really love this customer. And that's incredibly rare in any business where you actually care about the people you work with. And so the money will be fine. Um, it's more to me that we can get up and we can provide this service and many others. And we actually can say confidently that we love every customer that we have. And that's what's the most meaningful thing about this. Yeah, that's really powerful. I love that. Um, all right, Michael, what about this kingly anointing? This is an anointing on our lives through baptism that says that we will exercise dominion. And, and, and David was a little shepherd boy who was anointed a king and he took down Goliath. And let's just be honest, Michael, you're like a little shepherd boy trying to take <laughs> down Goliath. <laughs> and so what's going on in your mind as you see Goliath, big tech, uh, and you hear God speaking to you to do something like this. What's what what's motivating you for victory? Yeah, I guess I I don't think of it that way. I think of it like one step at a time. You know, I I like Kyle said the customers. I I love doing the customer service. I you know I I, I recorded a, a video for an eighty seven year old woman the other day who was uh, didn't understand something about email and and I was. I took the opportunity to record a video for her to kind of show her on my screen, you know, and I sent it to her and I said, I, f- I forget her name. Um, but I said like, let's say hi Philomena or something, right? Hi Philomena. And, and I recorded this short little video and then I threw some extras in there. I was like, by the way, this is how email works. Or like, and, 
and just received just such gratitude back. And it was just, and I think one of the things about the kingly, the, the kingly thing is, you know, we talk about dominion, but we also, we're called to be servant kings, right? I mean, our Lord is king of kings and he died unto the cross, right, for us. And, and he served, he washed the feet of his disciples. Um, and so, you know, like the customer service aspect of it and, and just God gave me these skills. I don't, I didn't earn them. Right. Like, and, um, if, you know, I, if, if I'm one of the leaders in this company or this movement, um, great, you know, that's, that's what God wants for me right now, but I'm going to, I just try to take it one step at a time and, uh, and, and try to figure out how we can serve our, our, our customers and ultimately in doing so fulfilling our vocation, serving God. Right. Amen. I love that. Thank you so much. Okay. We primarily at Damascus work, work with the young church, middle schoolers, high schoolers. Um, we'll serve about 20,000 young people this year. And uh, the thing that we hear, of course, the most from our parents is the concern on how uh, technology is impacting the young church, right? And, uh, you know, should, should my kids be on social media? Should my kids not be on social media? When should I introduce them to a cell phone? When should I not introduce them to a cell phone? And I, I, I guess... From your experience, what you've seen, what you're working on, uh, the, the, the light of Christ that's in your life, what, what would you say to parents and how they should approach media with their children? Um, this is, I'm glad you didn't ask this in the beginning of the show because this is all we would have talked about. This is a big topic. Um, well, maybe we should have a second episode. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, I'll give one short thing, which is coming back to that problems to be solved. You don't just do it because it seems like it's the thing to do. Like, what are you actually trying to solve here? And is this particular app or this particular piece of technology, whether it's hardware or software, is this necessary? And is it the best way to solve this problem, right? Um, is there a different way to solve it? And, and I'd say, you know, only solve it with technology when you've exhausted other options. Right, technology in Silicon Valley, it's there's that adage that if everything um, looks like an, if if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, and there's that temptation with technology that we view it as the panacea for all of society's ills or all of our own, you know, problems or something like that. And oftentimes, it's there's not a technical solution to it, you know. Mm. Kailash. Yeah, I think I would definitely correspond with what he said that it's pretty unlikely that your child needs a phone with an LCD and microprocessor. And it, there, it's not very likely that that's going to aid their life in a positive way. And I, I have friends who go through this battle and they have a, a one that I'm thinking of in particular, a mentor couple to us. And they have a daughter who's becoming, I think a sophomore, and she's literally the only kid in their school without a phone because they'll only give her a dumb phone and she only wants a smartphone. And they, it's just, it's an impasse and it's a gridlock and it's very hard for them, but they believe, and I think they're right that a smartphone and what it opens your uh, teenage or middle school child to is not the, it doesn't justify the tool. And there are other ways around it and it's very difficult, but it's very difficult to go to heaven. It's very difficult to maintain our purity and it will require saying no. There's a quote from St. Jose Maria Escriva and you know, he has this book, The, the Way, I think it is, or Furrow, and it's just sentences, it is, yeah. just a few sentences. And one of them in the very beginning is get used to saying no. 
and that's it. And I think it is very, very important that we get used to saying no. And this goes exactly back to what we were saying. This is a product that is designed by a corporation with values which are antithetical to yours, and they've invested a trillion dollars into getting you to use it. Does it matter? I would say yes. They are giving you something that is not actually towards your salvation. That's what it is. Yep. And and this is yeah. why we we make what we make. We 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 didn't just arbitrarily choose to do email and things like that. You know, the, one of the reasons we chose email is because it, it's just an extension. It's an application of technology to an existing behavior that's not problematic, which is writing letters, right? Um, but I think technology goes wrong when rather than applying technology to solve human problems, uh, it tries to adapt human behavior to fit the technology. And uh, we increasingly see that with a lot of technologies out there. And that's why we're, we're not going to make those technologies. Wow. That's a really interesting insight. Yeah. I mean, I love it. My daughter, she's uh, 14 and there, she has a phone, but there's everything's turned off on it, right? No internet, no, no access to anything. And, um, and, and, and at least once a month, she gets frustrated and says, dad, why? And, and I love it because for the last two years, at least once a month, I get to have a conversation with her as to why. And it's, it's, it's an opportunity. These like get used to saying no parent, like you said, Kailash, but then also get ready to give the explanation as to why it's not enough just to say no, because you, we need to say no as parents, but then it opens this door to conversation to help your children understand the world we live in and and how life is significant choices and and that's that's day after day step after step you know a 13 year old conversation is different than a 16 year old conversation but as long as they keep, keep asking that question why you get it they keep opening the door to helping you to build the foundation of truth in your own child's life which is very exciting um, okay, I love this conversation. We could totally go on, but we're not going to uh, uh, just to safeguard your guys' time. Um, but it, it, for those listening, um, it sounds like you're, you, you, you have a variety of different clients. It sounds like the opportunity is uh, for parishes, for nonprofits, for individuals, for, for business owners. Uh, are there, who, who's your ideal customer and how can they find out more about today so they can get involved? Yeah, I think exactly what you said is is totally right. It's it's for parishes, nonprofits, um, small businesses, and individuals. I think anyone who is a mission-driven person in their life or a mission-driven person with their organizations who hold true to these Catholic beliefs. And I hope through this conversation or through something else you might learn that you understand that it, if there's an option to work with someone who is value aligned with you, it is better. And that the corporations that you are buying software from in Silicon Valley, they have a totally different mission, which is not aligned with ours. And you can find out more at www.fide.email. And we have a list of all the different use cases and all kinds of different products that we have. And you can always email us at support at fide.email with any questions and either Michael and I will respond. Okay. For those of us uh, who may not be Latin scholars, how do you spell fide? F-I-D-E-I. Okay. Yep. F-I-D-E-I dot email. So F-I-D-E-I dot email. Find out more. This is amazing. Guys, thank you so much. Uh, I, I want to give you the final word. Is there anything else you guys would like to share before we wrap up? Go ahead, Michael. There's that saying that the fish don't know they're in water. 
because it's their environment. And it's really important for us to realize how, how difficult it is for people to come to the faith when the, the, the surrounding environment is, is so secular. Um, and, and so uh, when you're considering the contributions, you know, that the, com the companies that you're supporting make to, to the world, don't only think about the, you know, them funding Planned Parenthood, of course, that's as horrific as that is, but it's also, we want to bequeath to our children a world where it's easier to encounter our Lord. I love that. You know, when, I, when we were starting Damascus, before we even had the name Damascus, there was a philanthropist who invested in our organization rather significantly. And he, he said, you know, I don't know what's going to come of this, but I believe in you. And he, speaking about myself and Aaron, uh, the co-founder here, and, it, um, and, and his investment bore a ton of fruit. You know, we went from serving 1,000 kids a year to 20,000 kids in just five years and have, have, have really impacted the life of a lot of people. But I think there's something significant about what God's doing in your guys' lives, and, uh, and I believe in you guys. And I think there, that God has something special uh, and an anointing in your life that you're really making – uh, you're like th these marketplace missionaries that you guys are truly positioned to transform society from, uh, from, from this marketplace perspective. And, and I, I just love that. And because of that, I just really want to encourage people to check out, uh, Fede and really see what their options are and how they may be able to bless you. You've been listening to beyond Damascus, uh, the show where encounter meets mission Every encounter with Jesus Christ should lead to missionary activity. If you've enjoyed this episode, or if you know people who are working in big tech and, and, and are, are in that environment, I encourage you to share this episode with them uh, and, and like it, share it, whatever it is, comment uh, so that we can get this conversation going and really uh, continue to discover what it means to be marketplace missionaries. But join us next week on Beyond Damascus. <laughs>